0: Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, church fam. Great last song for where we're going to be this morning. I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to the Lord. We're going to see a victory this morning. Uh, in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21, we're going to see a great victory, uh, and we're going to see that ultimately that victory and that battle belongs only to the Lord. We're not even going to do anything, as you're going to see in this passage. Uh, while I was studying through Revelation 19, 11 through 21, and taking a look at the second coming of Jesus, the Lord really impressed upon my heart to take a look at some of the differences between his first coming and his second. And I'm just going to share five with you, but my list began to get kind of long in my alone time with the Lord. But here's just some of the things that I noted. The first time that Jesus came, he came to Bethlehem and in a manger. At his second coming, no more manger. He comes as the master, riding on a white horse. The first time that Jesus came, Isaiah 53 says he came as a suffering servant. But at his second coming, he's going to come as the sovereign ruler. We're going to take a look at him as king uh, this morning The first time Jesus came, he was denied as the king. At the second coming, you're going to see today, he gets declared as king. People are going to shout out that he's the king of kings, that he's the Lord of lords. Fourth thing that I noted was that the first time Jesus came, he got crucified as a criminal. But at his second coming, he's going to be crowned as the king. And then last one to share with you this morning. The first time that Jesus came, Satan was a destructive force. But at his second coming, Satan's a defeated foe. So we're going to see how this battle belongs to the Lord. With all of that being said, there's a lot to boast about when it comes to our Jesus and who he is. There's a lot to be excited about. I know that some of you all have taken up the challenge that we've been given in the past couple of weeks. But to take something that the enemy has intended for evil, which he's done a great job with technology, with social media, Um, with just basic primetime television and done a lot of nastiness with it, man, what a great opportunity to turn that into something good. And many of y'all have been sharing stories how you've been sharing the goodness of Jesus, scripture verses on your Instagram pages, on your Facebook pages, on your Twitter accounts. Keep doing it. That's a great way to use technology for good, and people are going to keep hearing the gospel. Now, don't let that be a replacement for going out and sharing the gospel face-to-face, but let that enhance uh, what you're doing when it comes to sharing the gospel. Keep boasting about Jesus. Keep telling people about how good he is. Do we believe this morning that the battle really belongs to the Lord? Do we believe we're going to see a victory? Do we believe that he's the king? If so, keep boasting about it. Paul sure did. The apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, he says, "...for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards." and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord we got a lot to boast about this morning not in and of ourselves we're a mess but in who Jesus is that's the one that we boast in that's what we're going to do this morning we're just going to rejoice in who Jesus is this morning we're going to celebrate victory this morning we're supposed to do that 52 times a year we celebrate did you all know that this is a time of celebration We're coming together for a celebration, a party, one that's gonna extend all the way into heaven for all of eternity. I can't wait to see what that's gonna be like. We've been getting small glimpses. We got one last week when we finally see the consummation of the marriage between the bride and the groom, and then we'll see during the millennium that we're gonna get to partake in that marriage supper of the Lamb. But today, we're gonna celebrate in the fact that Jesus is gonna win the victory. Now, if we just sat back together and took a look at the goodness of Jesus, the evidence that we have for him being God in flesh, the evidence that we have, not blind faith, rock-solid evidence for Jesus being God, the prophecies that are fulfilled in him as written in this book, the archaeological evidence that we have for him as displayed in this book, the manuscript evidence that we have from this book, the prophetical evidence, those 351 prophecies that we have being fulfilled perfectly of just his first coming, let alone his second. We could be here for hours together. I hate being bound by time. I would love to hang out with you all for the next three or four hours and just take a look at the goodness of Jesus and his word. I won't do that to you. But I am going to ask you to stand for the next three minutes uh, as we read Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 21. If you're able um, that's great. If not, just stay in your seat and we're going to read Revelation nineteen eleven through 21 together. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. So, we're going to have some fun with this. It's only about 10 or 11 verses, but it is chock full of amazing things about our Savior and about our King that we're about to take a look at this morning. Now, before we even dive into the boasting about our King, before we dive into the boasting about the return of our coming King, I want to just start with a few basic facts about his second coming. And really, it's only a few, there's a lot that we could take a look at. But first off, let me just note that there are 1,800 references to the second coming of Christ in the Old Testament alone. There's over 300 references in the New Testament about the second coming of Christ. Note that for every one prophecy in Scripture about Jesus' first coming, there's eight prophecies about his second coming. So this tells me something. The Lord really wants us to be aware of, to focus on, to learn from, to really shape our lives around the fact that he is coming again. If I can keep in the back of my mind, Jesus really is coming again, he really is going to take me to heaven to be with him forever, then there's a lot that we can endure this side of heaven, knowing what's awaiting us. And that is great news, especially with what's going on in the world today. I'm going to hit on it more later, but if you haven't been paying attention God's people are being ravaged over in Israel right now. And I firmly believe that it's going to come upon believers, followers of Jesus, here in our own country as well, more and more as the days go by. And the reason I believe that, that that's exactly what God's word said was going to happen. So are we prepared? Well, today's big idea, really our big takeaway for the day, is perfect timing, For what's going on in the world. We can live confidently knowing that Jesus is going to execute righteous judgment because he's perfectly faithful and he's the true king. So that's what we're going to unpack this morning, why we can live confidently knowing that Jesus will execute righteous judgment and knowing that he is perfectly faithful and that he really is the true king. So let's begin to break this down. Let's look at some reasons for boasting about our king's return. It starts in verse 11. We're going to break this down in small chunks for the rest of our time together this morning. Verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. The first thing we're going to see this morning is that the king's return, Jesus' return, is a glorious reality. John said, this wasn't some vision, this wasn't some dream, this wasn't something I made up. This is something that I actually saw while I was exiled on the island of Patmos. He probably got drug away from everything that he knew and everyone that he knew. He's on this island as a prisoner with a bunch of other prisoners, probably the worst of the worst, got exiled to Patmos, and then you get poor John, who's older at this point in his life. He's probably not that far off From death, he's frail, he doesn't have any reason to just make stuff up. So he tells you what Jesus actually reveals to him, what he sees. And what was the glory of the reality that he actually saw? Well, first, I think it's important to note at the very beginning of this, it says, Then I saw heaven opened. Now it's interesting, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, when John is first in the spirit in heaven, he goes through a door. Notice that for Jesus and his armies, when they are descending from heaven to earth to go and execute judgment, there's no door. All of heaven opens up. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but I believe that's because Jesus is so mighty and so glorious and so majestic and his army is so big that they're not going to fit through a door. So all of heaven opens up. The second thing that I see is that Jesus is sitting on a white horse. Now here, most people think that horses belong, like I do, on a racetrack or on a farm. But what we learn from studying ancient times is that a white horse would have been ridden by a general after going out and having a victorious battle. The horse would lead this huge parade The general would be leading the parade. All the soldiers would be following behind. The general would be wearing this big robe that hung off the back of the horse. Depending on what tribe or what people group he came from, he'd be wearing some type of crown. And in that crown would be different diadems or different jewels that we're about to take a look at right now. In fact, it's the second thing that I want to begin to take a look at right now. Going on in verse 12, after saying that Jesus is coming on a White horse, And that he's faithful and true and that he in righteousness judges and makes war. It says his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. In that passage, the second reason that we have for boasting is that the king's return is a theological revelation. We learn something here about him. In fact, there's at least a few things that we learn about him that are quite amazing. The very first two important theological revelations are the first deals with his power. The second deals with his name. So one deals with what he is capable of in his power. The other one deals with his character and his nature based off the name that he is given. Now again, note that he comes riding on a white horse. It symbolizes his power and victory. When he came the first time, What did he come riding on? The colt of a donkey. This time, no more donkey. No more lowly. No more meek. No more mild. But he comes riding in victory. And then he's got a name, and it's faithful and true. This name tells us that he is is faithful to keep his word. When he says he's going to do something, he does it. It's interesting that Jesus is the author of Scripture. He actually writes about himself himself over a thousand years before he actually comes. He tells people what to look for at his first coming. He's telling us what to look for at his second coming. And he is completely true. So being the fact that he's completely faithful and he's completely true, he's the only one who can actually judge righteously because he's the only one who's completely righteous. Now in just a moment of practical application, I had to stop and ask myself, in imitating Christ... Am I showing the world Jesus by being faithful to my word? Do I keep my word in what I say? Am I truthful in what I say? Or do I at times try to make myself look better than I actually am? Or try to make myself not look as bad as I actually can be? I know many of you are staring at me going, Wait a minute, everything in the pastor's home is perfect, right? Just ask my wife. She'll tell you, we are so glad that there are days in our home that, aren't, that, that things aren't recorded. <laughs> I will tell you, there are times in my personal life where I am glad that my brain doesn't get posted on a screen for all to see. But I do think, wow, what a great deterrent that would be from sin. If everybody could see on a screen what I was thinking on a daily basis. How many of you would be a little bit nervous if your thoughts got posted on a screen or maybe a little embarrassed? I know my hand goes up right away, and then I get reminded, but did you know what? The God of the universe already sees all of them. In fact, verse 12 speaks directly to that. His eyes are like a flame of fire. If I stop there, we get this amazing symbolism telling us who Jesus is or what he is like. What in the world is John talking about when he says his eyes are like a flame of fire? Just in studying this in context with it talking about him judging in righteousness, it has to mean that he sees through all the lies. We can put on all the facades, we can put on the face, we can post on our Instagram and Facebook pages that everything is perfect and everything is dandy in our life, but God knows the truth. And so in humility, why not come to him who already sees it all and just be honest so that we can grow together Then it says that he has many diadems on his head or on the crown that he's wearing. Remember, it would typically be a jewel or a diadem for every victory won. And this one just says many. How many? I don't know. What I do know is there are at least two for sure. He's already defeated Satan and he's already defeated death. Those two things were one when he died on the cross and then he rose again from the dead. But he has many diadems that he wears on his head if he can defeat those two enemies those two huge enemies can he not defeat the battles that we engage in the battles that we have with temptation the battles that we have with doubt the battles that we have with worry or confusion or sadness and again i know as believers we walk through the church doors and we ask how are you doing and what's our answer almost every time fine good or my favorite oh god is good no kidding Now tell me something I don't know. How are you really doing? If we're honest with each other, how many of you all have struggled with doubt? Anybody have any sadness this week? Any of you all struggle with the sin of worry? How about confusion? Anybody get angry? Did any of you think things in your head this week that you probably shouldn't have thought about another person? Okay, again, I'm going to remind you like last week, if you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar, so we've all got a sin issue that we all need to deal with, right? Okay? Don't you just love how we can be honest with each other around here? I love it. And then it says, he has a name written that no one knows but himself. This ultimately speaks to his unparalleled nature. There's no human being on the planet that could ever comprehend the depths and the weight of Jesus's glory. We can try, but can you imagine what it's going to be like when we get to heaven and finally get to experience the depth and the weight of his glory and his majesty? I can't imagine what it's going to be like. I can't wait to get there, but I also, I can't imagine this side of heaven. What is, I've tried when I read Revelation, sometimes I like to read it and then just stop, just kind of close my eyes and picture what is that going to be like to be with Jesus. And I don't think my little mind will ever do justice to what it's going to be like to be with Jesus in heaven. Some of y'all have been to some beautiful places. You've traveled around the world. Maybe you've been to a beautiful place in Europe. You've been to Bali. You've been to Hawaii. There's some beautiful beaches in Mexico. Maybe you've been to the Holy Land and you've been to Israel. I don't know where you've been, but I know you guys have seen some beautiful things. Even our sunsets and our sunrises here in New Mexico are just staggering. But here's what's amazing about all of that. How long did it take for God to create all that we see? Six days. He created it all in six days. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to take you back to where I'm at. If He spoke this universe into existence in six days, and yet for the past over 2,000 years, He has been preparing a place for us, what's heaven going to be like? Oh my goodness. I can't wait. Verse 13 He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. Verse 13 really speaks to the absolute power of Jesus. The name that he has given is the word of God. In the Greek, the word word is the word logos. It means the full expression of one's mind. Jesus is the full expression of God's mind. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Well, how can I trust that Jesus is actually God? Well, there's this really cool place in Jerusalem that's got an empty tomb that only Jesus has risen from. Now again, I'm not meaning to pick on people, but I want to establish some facts for a moment. Muhammad, the founder of the the Islamic religion, of the Muslim religion, has a grave. And we know that the body is there. The founder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, his name is Joseph Smith, and they know where his tomb is at. And the body is there. Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witness religion, died and we know that there is a body there every pope that has ever existed has died and never came back and we know where their tombs are at david adkins is one of our uh, exec he's our executive pastor he and his wife anna are over in uh, spain and italy right now they sent me a picture of the burial place of christopher columbus it's pretty awesome that guy did some pretty amazing things but we know right where his body is at well, we know where Jesus' tomb is, but there's no body, and there's a reason our God rose from the dead. He is the Word of God. In reading this passage and seeing that Jesus is called the Word of God and thinking back to John chapter 1, verse 1, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, it makes me just keenly aware of how desperately I need to be in the Word if I really want to be growing in Christ-likeness and becoming like him. Jesus is both the written word and the living word. Again, it's interesting that Jesus had his word written hundreds of years before he even came on the scene in a body, and here's why. Jesus didn't come into existence 2,000 years ago. Jesus has always existed. He just chose to take upon a body 2,000 years ago. Well, let me go on as we continue to take a look at the majesty of Jesus. It's in verses... Fourteen and fifteen. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Who are these armies? In the Greek, it's plural. They got it right in the English, it's plural. There's multiple armies that are going to come. With Jesus. Who are these armies? Well, according to Revelation 14, verse 8, just a few verses prior, the church is one of them. That's always the description, or only the description of the church, one that is dressed in fine linen, white and pure. According to uh, Revelation 7, verse 13, the tribulation saints are also going to come with Jesus. That's another army. According to Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Old Testament saints are going to come at that point with Jesus in the battle. And then in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, Jesus himself told us that his angels would come with him. So we've got us, the church age saints, we've got tribulation saints, we've got the Old Testament saints, and then we've got angels. So we've got at least four different armies that are going to come with Jesus. And do you know what those armies are going to do when Jesus comes? nothing they're just gonna watch which is my constant reminder hey Dave Jesus doesn't need your help now that doesn't mean don't go out and serve him don't go out and share the gospel of course we're supposed to do those things continue to serve him continue to share the gospel continue to give grace to the ungracious continue to give love to the unlovely we're supposed to continue to do those things but you know what I can't do I can't change any person's heart that I serve I can't change any person's mind that I share the gospel with. That's totally up to the Lord. And he doesn't need my help in changing a heart or mind. That is completely up to him. Revelation 19 verse 16 says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So he's got a name that we don't know, one that we may never learn for all we know. But then there is a name or a few names, multiple names that he has throughout scripture that we are allowed to know. And one of them is that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, which means we have nothing to fear, which means all the stuff that's going on with Israel, we don't have to fear Hamas. With all the things that are going on across the world, with the evils and the atrocities that are being committed against some of our brothers and sisters that are in China, As they're being told that they are not allowed to openly worship the Lord, they're continuing to worship him there. We have friends that are in Turkey that are being told that it's illegal for them to carry a Bible, and yet they're carrying Bibles and sharing the gospel anyways because they know who their king is. Some of the atrocities that are happening specifically in northern Africa, and I have a buddy who is pastoring there that I have shared with you about over in Uganda that continues to share the gospel because he knows who his king is that he's not ruled by any other emperor or any other president or any other king or queen but he's ruled by the king of kings and the lord of lords and he'll keep sharing the gospel until the lord calls him home whether that be via the rapture or death and gang let that be our attitude as well Doesn't matter what's happening around us, doesn't matter what kind of attacks come upon us, which by the way, I'm glad you came to church and you didn't get scared because I don't know if you heard or not, but with Friday the 13th having been the day of terror that was supposed to be unleashed, there are churches right now that are being listed in America as being targets for attacks this Sunday, today. Could it be a little bit more dangerous to come to church today? Maybe, but may we those p- be those people that say, I would rather God find me in his will and bring me home than have me holed up and feeling physically safe outside of his will. Let's just keep on getting together and worshiping the Lord. And if he has decided that he is going to take us home through some type of explosion or attack, you know what? My day was already numbered anyways. Doesn't matter how hard I try to fight against that, God has already numbered my days. So let's just use whatever number we have to bring him honor and glory and let him find us serving him. Amen? Verses 17 through 21 is the last portion of this passage. By the way, that was really wimpy. But hey, three of you, way to go. Verses 17... Verses 17 through 21 is going to bring us to the resolution, and then we'll give a shout of praise at the end of this, this morning, as we worship our King. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come, gather for the great supper of God. This is about to be the second supper we're about to take a look at. Remember, the first one was one that people were invited to, to eat, So at these two suppers that we're taking a look at, the one in the first half of Revelation 19, the one in the second half, one is you get to come and you get to be the eater. At the second supper, you're the eaten. Guess which one you want to be at? You want to be the eater, not the eaten. So here we hear this angel calling all these different birds, the eagles, the vultures, the clarion, come down here and get ready to eat. The flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Man, this would make a great movie. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. The third thing that we see this morning is that the king's return is a victorious resolution. Everything gets resolved when Jesus comes back. Things are not resolved right now. Things are still a mess in our current time and in our current day and age. But one day Jesus is going to come back and he is going to resolve the mess. And we're going to take a look at this passage in two smaller chunks Starting with verses 17 and 18 and take a look at how Jesus brings all of this to a resolution. In verses 17 and 18, what did John see now? An angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice he called to all the birds flying directly overhead. Come gather for the great supper of God and to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Don't forget, at this point, all the armies of the world have gathered together, and then they see Jesus returning, and everyone is about to take aim at Jesus. And you know what I notice in this passage? He's not worried. Everybody is aiming at Jesus, and yet Jesus isn't worried. In fact, take a look at what happens in the conclusion of this passage. And I saw the beast And the kings of the earth with their armies, everybody's gathered to make war against him who's sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. No other battle like this has ever taken place in all of human history. Usually what happens in battles is the general sits somewhere potentially hundreds of miles away and dictates what needs to happen in the battle. He tells his armies how to go and fight, what routes to take. Jesus doesn't tell his armies what to do. He goes and he does it. We got a brief taste of what Jesus is going to do 2,000 years ago. It's found in John chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. It's at the time where Judas, who he's only one of two men in all of human history that's ever been possessed by the devil. The other one is going to be the Antichrist. So Judas gets possessed by the devil. He leads this group to go meet Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he has uh, obviously spent ample time with his disciples, training them, teaching them. And this is the passage, John eighteen one through 6. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he, had, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place where Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, Went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. There's just a little taste. Jesus still veiled some of his glory and his power. He didn't unleash all of it. But even from just saying those two Greek words, ego, I, me, that Hebrew derivative of the word Yahweh, he speaks the name of God. He says clearly, I am God in flesh. And then to prove it, they all fall back. And that's just a small taste of his power. Now, you'd begin to think if you're smart, okay, you just spoke and people just flew back. A dude gets his ear lopped off, you just and put it back on his head and everything's fully functioning. You'd begin to think that people would begin to realize Jesus is worthy of worship. Jesus is worthy of being crowned king. Instead, they crucify him. That's where we're at as people. So again, we see Judas, the only other man besides the Antichrist, coming to arrest Jesus. And Jesus just simply speaks a word. In Revelation chapter 19, all of the armies of the world, so if you can imagine all the tanks, all the cannons, all the nuclear warfare, everything that every army has ever developed to go to war, all gets pointed at Jesus. And yet he just simply speaks a word and they all get annihilated. And then he casts the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. Do you know how many people right now are in the lake of fire? None. There's nobody in the lake of fire. Right now, people are in hell, but we oftentimes confuse hell with the lake of fire. Hell is like the holding place where they are awaiting their ultimate sentence. So right now, people are still in a place that is awful. It's still a place of torture, but the lake of fire is not inhabited yet. The Antichrist and the false prophet will be the first two. Then there will be what we call the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Satan will rebel one more time. Then he will join them in the lake of fire. Then all of those that haven't trusted Christ will get their resurrection bodies, and they will be cast into the lake of fire. That's all starting next week. Are you excited for the millennium? I can't wait. But to conclude today, I want to just tell you that there's a reason why Satan's not happy that our church decided to tackle the book of Revelation. I believe that he's not going to be happy when we begin to dive in January. January 7th, we're going to launch into our study on the book of Daniel and take a look at what it means to be a believer living in Babylon. We're going to begin a series that I'm going to simply call unshakable because Daniel was able to have a faith that was unshakable because of who God is. The reason Satan doesn't like us studying any book of scripture, but especially Revelation, is that it exposes him for who he is. He's not only a liar and a thief and a murderer, he's a defeated foe. He's already lost. And once Jesus joins the battle that we are going to get to see at some point in time after the rapture, is game over. It's already game over. We're just going to get to see it come to fruition. And then we're going to get to enter into eternity with Jesus forever, which is going to entail the perfect place, the perfect relationship, and perfect intimacy. See, it's kind of interesting, but all of the good gifts that God has given us, so whether it be being able to taste good food Enjoy sexual pleasure with your spouse. Enjoy a laugh or a hug with your kids. Enjoy a refreshing glass of cold water. Experience a beautiful sunset or a sunrise. All of those were meant to push us to the goodness of God and into a relationship with him. But unfortunately, much of mankind has turned that into worship of the wrong things. What a glorious day it's going to be when we get to see all of these things that were meant to push us to worshiping Jesus finally come to fruition. Okay, I've told you this before. I'm going to say it again. Man, I am so glad that we are on a team that can't lose. Even though for many of you, your team today in football will probably lose. (laughs) Especially if you're a Charger fan like me or a Bronco fan like a bunch of the rest of you. Sorry, I'm an equal opportunity offender. So... That being said, is it not a blast and a blessing and a privilege to know that we serve a king that can't lose? Aren't you glad we're on a team that can't lose? Now's our chance to worship the Lord. Gang, let me spend a moment and let's just praise the Lord for who he is. Let's spend some time praying together. And then let me just make an announcement to you at the end of one thing that we have going on here this week that I'd love for you all to be a part of. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you and we praise you for being our king. We are so thankful that we serve a king that can't lose. We get to be a part of a team that can't lose. And Lord, we so look forward to seeing all of that come to fruition. In the meantime, may we continue to treasure you, Jesus, above all else. May we continue to get to know you more and more and to make you known everywhere we go. And Lord, it's in that mighty name of Jesus that we all pray together. Amen. Gang, like I said, there's some rough stuff going on in the world today. Um, There's some rough stuff going on with that little nation that we call Israel. And what we see from Genesis chapter 12 is that God's word is extremely clear that as a people, as a nation, as a church, if we choose to curse Israel, God will curse us. But if we choose to honor or if we choose to bless Israel, God says he will bless us. Personally... I'd like to be blessed, so I would like to ask us to, to, to join together as a church body. In praying for Israel. Pray for what is going on. Specifically, we're going to be praying for some things together as a body. We're going to be praying that many, many Israelites would come to know Jesus as the Messiah, that they would come to know him through this. That those that are believers that are in Israel right now would be bold in sharing the gospel because we don't know what's going to happen to people over there. We need to be praying for terrorists, that they might even come to know Jesus through the bold witness of people that are over there in Israel. Uh, We need to continue to pray for frontline workers that are over there trying to bring the gospel for their safety so they can keep bringing the gospel. We're going to do that together as a church body. So we already meet on Wednesday nights at 6.30 for something that we call an equip course. We're going through a study called the church in Babylon. Interesting how God works things out. We're in chapter seven this week, which is on Islam, immigration, and the church. Just so happens that that's the chapter we ended up being on when all of this happened. We are going to do our regular study from 6.30 to 7. And then at 7 o'clock, you all are invited. In fact, you can all come for the study if you want. But specifically, I'm going to ask you if you can make it on Wednesday at 7 p.m., The more that we can get here, the better. I'm going to give you a specific list of things that we are going to pray for together when it comes to praying for Israel. We're going to break you off into smaller groups, and in smaller chunks or smaller groups, we're going to gather around the sanctuary and pray for the nation of Israel and all the things that are happening there. We'll also engage in prayer for our own country and then for Jews uh, around the world um, that are experiencing some hardships. So we'd love to have you join us. In the meantime between now and Wednesday, and really all the rest of the days of your life, go and give Albuquerque Jesus. Like right now, go. let's go give Albuquerque Jesus. So have a good week, gang. We'll see you Wednesday. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.